All right, I want to take just another moment to celebrate what happened this week uh, with Vacation Bible School. Uh, just so much fun to see this pe place packed out uh, with over 480 children, over 250 servant leaders, over 120 children at our Hernando campus, and I don't know how many servant leaders. They, they packed that place like sardines uh, down in Hernando, inside and outside. Uh, just incredible work uh, by our staff and our servant leaders. You may not know this, but the intensive planning starts in January uh, for Vacation Bible School and just so much work. Uh, and God was lifted up on gospel night here at this campus. Over our 107 children raised their hand that they wanted to know more about Jesus and seeds were planted and conversations will happen. And just so excited uh, that God is on the move. Sometimes we may forget that. We may not feel like it, but God is on the move and I just want to celebrate that today. And I want to say thank you uh, for praying for my family and I and allowing us to have some time away over this summer uh, so that we could be healthy in mind, body, and spirit. And I'm very grateful to be back here with you today as we wrap up our summer sermon series, The Good Life. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Greg Meek, our pastor of families, was preaching on the pure in heart. And he lifted up the question that is really important for us to look at, and that's what is happiness? If you missed that message, you need to go back and check that out. And he talked about the reality that when happiness becomes our goal, it becomes an unreachable goal. But when we make God the goal, we get happiness as well. Now, studies show this, polls and scientific uh, approaches have shown the truth of this. But what I was thinking about over the last couple of weeks is this is nothing new. Uh, this is an age-old truth that when happiness becomes the main thing, it becomes an elusive thing. Uh, there was actually a, a wise man, perhaps a king, perhaps it was Solomon, who wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And he talks about this problem that when happiness becomes the main thing, it becomes an elusive thing. And he walks through this book talking about that truth. In uh, the first chapter, he says that where we cannot find happiness is an education. He said, I learned everything. I had all the wisdom. But yeah, I couldn't find happiness. It was like a vapor, he says, over and over. And chapter 2, it says, you know what? I couldn't find happiness in pleasure. I denied myself nothing, and yet I still couldn't find happiness. In chapters 2 through 4, he said, I accomplished everything, and I advanced my career, and I had all kinds of recognition, but I couldn't find happiness there. In chapters 5 and 6, he said, you know, I had all that a man could want, all the wealth that you could gather and I could not find happiness in money. So where do we find happiness? Well, he finally gets through this 12-chapter monologue about where happiness cannot be found. And finally, he gets right to the very end of that book in chapter 12, verse 13 of the book of Ecclesiastes. And he finally tells us where we can find happiness. He says, now all has been heard. And here is the conclusion of the matter. Where do we find happiness? He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. In other words, when happiness becomes the main thing, it becomes elusive. 
When God becomes the main thing, I get happiness as well. All the things that my heart is longing for, meaning and purpose and peace and joy and love, all those things come along with a pursuit of God where we fear him, where we are in awe of him, where we trust him, where he is our main pursuit. So let me ask you a question to get started today. And it's a hard question. Uh, maybe it's not hard to give the church kind of answer or the, what we want the answer to be. But to be honest with ourselves, this could be a really difficult question. Is God your main pursuit? Let me ask it this way. If you had to choose between following Jesus all in, submitted to him, nothing held back, and advancing your career, which would you choose? If you had to choose between following Jesus all in, submitted to him, nothing held back, and choosing that thing that makes you feel good, that brings pleasure, that entertains you, which would you choose? If you had to choose between following Jesus all in, nothing held back, fully submitted to him, and money and wealth and security, what would you choose? Not hard to say what we want the answer to be, but what really is happening in our lives and our hearts with the decisions and the choices and the attitude that we bring to our lives and our relationships and our choices. Hey, Jesus comes to offer us something incredible that this world can never offer. And he invites us to come to him, to follow him. But the problem is, is that many of us, we want to walk, the, the, we want to talk the talk, but we're not really walking the walk. We want to say that Jesus is everything, but our life doesn't back it up. And what I've discovered in life and ministry is that one of the major things that can keep us from following after Jesus, not just saying Jesus is Lord, but letting my life pursue him fully is my motivation for following him in the first place. Because many of us have not gotten what we bargained for when we started following Jesus. Because a lot of us, our motivation for following him was not quite where it needs to be. A lot of us, we might live on one extreme or the other. For some of us, what we really want is not God, not Jesus. We just want heaven. Or let's just dumb it down a little bit even more. We don't want to go to hell. We're not even really sure what heaven is or what it is about. We, we think maybe I'm on clouds and playing harps and, and, you know, wearing white robes or something. But I know I don't want to go to hell. And so I say this prayer and maybe I show up at church and I try to do more good things than bad things. Because I know I don't want to go to the bad place. I don't want to go to hell after I die. But Jesus, I really don't want you to meddle with my life until then. Like I've got control of this. I'm making the decisions. I'm going to do this my way. Just make sure I, I say a prayer. I'm good with you. All right, let's get on with life. Or we might find ourselves on another extreme, which is also not quite where we need to be, where we do want Jesus involved in our life. And we say yes to him because we think he's going to get involved in our life, not to challenge us, not to lead us, not to transform us. But we think Jesus is going to make everything good. 
And we think he's going to make everything good by taking away all of our troubles and giving us everything we want. And we kind of make Jesus into this cosmic genie or vending machine. Just give me what I want. But guess what? That is not what Jesus had to offer. See, what Jesus had to offer was a real heaven where he lives, where we will be with him. What Jesus had to offer was a life of difficulty and trouble where hard things are going to happen and we live in a broken world, but he overcomes. That even in the midst of the difficult things that he is overcoming and he will overcome and Jesus is going to physically come again to transform creation. And what Jesus has to offer is that when we see him face to face, that there will be a reward for our faith. And we will hear the words from him when we trust and submit to him. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And we'll be able to take the rewards of heaven and offer them to our God. See, this is the perspective that Jesus has in mind. It is the foundation of the the calling that he gave as he walked through the very beginning of his Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes that we're living in over this summer, the good life. Eight, nine blessings that Jesus walks through all centered on this fact that the way he comes, the the life that he offers is not the way of the world. And so let's take a look at the final beatitude. It's actually beatitudes eight and nine, but we're going to treat them as one for our purposes today. And what is it that Jesus says? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, what is it that Jesus is offering us? Number one is Jesus gives blessing. Jesus gives blessing. Now, the word that, that Jesus uses, we've talked about this through the series, it's the word makarios. It can mean happy, it can mean satisfied, it can mean blessed, but a literal uh, translation of it is a supreme blessing. This isn't just any kind of blessing that anybody can give, but this is the blessing that only God can give. It is the greatest of blessings. It is the most magnified of blessings. It is the most supreme of all blessings, the blessings we can find nowhere else. It is the goodness of God at work in our lives. Please understand this. The world is difficult. It is hard. It, is, it brings heartache and pain, but God is always good. Sometimes in the midst of the difficult life, we forget that truth, that God is always good. And sometimes our theology, the way we think about God, can actually make us forget that God is good. You know, one of the, the, I would call a heresy, a, a wrong way of thinking when we talk about God is something called the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel says that, yes, God is good. And because God is good, and maybe because I deserve it, 
God is going to bring all good things into my, my life and take away all the hard things in life. And he's going to be kind of like my sugar daddy. And he's going to give me everything that I desire and want in this world. And it's hard to, to see God that way without throwing out all of the words of Jesus where he says, in this world, you will find trouble. It's hard to think that way about God and not throw out his call to say, if you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross. And you got to lose your life to find it. See, Jesus didn't just invite us to get everything we want. He invited us to, to follow him that we could have heaven and be transformed in this world and die to self that we could live for him. And so many of us, we understand the faultiness of that logic. And so we, we have the danger of swinging the other way and we forget about the goodness of God as well. Well, well if God isn't going to bring me everything I want in this world, then maybe God's not good for me today. And, and all I can do is just get through this life, expect the worst, and maybe I won't go to hell when I get to the end of this. And see, that is also not true of God. That throughout Scripture, the Father in the Old Testament, that Jesus in the New Testament, that the apostles in the letters of the New Testament call us to receive the goodness of God, taste and see that the Lord is good, that He comes to bring His presence, that God is with us, that He comes to bring His provision, that He meets our need, He comes to bring His protection against the evil forces at work in this world. He brings His goodness to us. I think about the relationship that God extends to us. What does God say to us? He says, I am your loving father. And I'm a dad. And I think about my relationship with my kids. What does it mean to be a father? And, you know, there are some basic, very basic level needs that my kids need. I know that they need a house, a roof over their head. I know that they need to have food and water to be able to survive. I know that they need clothing uh, to be able to live. But what if as a dad, my love for them stopped right there? And I said, you know what, these are the things you need, but nothing more than what you need. Of course I don't do that. Within reason, based on what I know to be good for them, and I have a limited understanding of what's good for them, and so I don't always get it right. You know, sometimes I withhold or I give too much because my understanding is limited. But based on my love, I want to give them above and beyond what they need. I want to bless them with good things. And how much more does our loving Father in heaven want to bless you and me with good things? But here's the, the truth, is that his ways are not our ways. And his understanding is above our understanding. And sometimes what we experience from God doesn't feel like a good thing, but it's only based on my limited understanding and knowledge that I don't know what God knows. And God is often more concerned about what's going on inside of me than he is what's going on around me. And sometimes I just miss that. But don't forget that God is good. He comes to bring blessing. But this particular blessing is not just a blanket blessing. It's not just like, you know, for God so loved the world that he blessed the whole world. No. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever trusted in him would have eternal life. This is about following Jesus. And God gives a blessing, Jesus says, when we experience something. If you're taking notes, here's point number two. The blessing is for those who have trouble for doing right. 
And we're going to talk about both of these for just a second. First, it says we experience a blessing when we go through trouble. Now, what is this trouble that Jesus is talking about? If we're to read through the rest of those verses, he says, Blessed are you when you are insulted, when you are persecuted. That word persecuted, it means literally to be put to flight. Now, let me tell you what Jesus is not talking about. He's not talking about just the general trouble of living in a fallen and broken world. There are going to be things that happen to us that just happen because our world is not yet redeemed fully by the second coming of Christ. So we're going to have sickness. We're going to have heartache. We're going to have uh, natural disasters. Things are going to happen. It's going to be hard. But, but guess what? God is close to the brokenhearted. And he walks through us those, those things. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's also not talking about, this needs to be very clear. He's not talking about the consequences of our bad decisions. That when we choose to follow our own path, to do our own thing, to reject God, there are going to be consequences for those choices, even in the midst of mercy and grace and forgiveness and God redeems, but we often still experience consequences. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. What he's talking about is we experience the supreme blessing of God when we experience difficulty and trouble and heartache in the form of persecution, meaning it comes from those outside of us trying to move us off the mark, off the path of following Jesus. A lot of times we experience hard things and we think, oh, that's persecution, that, that's spiritual warfare. No, you, you just had a flat tire or, or you just forgot to pay that bill. See, the persecution that Jesus is talking about is that action toward us to move us away from following him, to put us to flight. And it comes from people, it comes from power, and it comes from systems in the broken world around us by the work of the evil one to move us off of Jesus. And understand this, the mark, the ultimate mark, the ultimate goal is to get at Jesus. He's the target. And what I want us to understand is that this is still happening in the world around us. It is a very uh, reality of the modern day. I actually have a, a good personal friend. I'm going to leave him unnamed because this is online and I want to protect him. But I've got to actually be with him uh, in the mission field a couple different times and see the things that are happening. And he has this phrase he often lifts up and it, it blows me away every time he says it. He it says, it's not a matter of if you will die, but it's a matter of what you'll die for. And that hits me every time because I know that is his life. He actually uh, has a story from years ago. He was uh, working in his home country, uh, caring for the poor, meeting the needs of those who couldn't meet their, their own needs, and most importantly, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he and his team were rounded up and, and they were placed on a bus and they set that bus on fire in an attempt to take their lives not just to bring trouble, the point was not just to make them feel bad. It was to make them flee from the path of following Jesus. That is persecution. 
And God moved in a miraculous way and, and through some circumstances freed them from that. But, but what I've got to experience as I've been with him is to see that those pastors and leaders of those churches and, and people who are following Jesus there are still experiencing persecution today. Their houses are still being set on fire. They're still being cast out from their family. They're still uh, not able to care for themselves financially because of the work of the people and the powers and the systems around them. They want to move them off the path of following Jesus. It's a reality for them day in and day out. And why are they experiencing that difficulty? It's because they choose to do what is right. Look at what Jesus said. Let's put that scripture. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? Because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you. There's that word, to be put to flight. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of me. The word righteousness, it means a way of being, a path. Specifically, it means a right way or a just way. And Jesus defines that right way or that just way by centering it on him. Blessed are you when you're persecuted because you're following the way of me. In another place, Jesus calls this the narrow way, meaning it's not a way that many people are going to follow. Whatever our thinks, thoughts about Christianity might, might be, not many people are gonna truly follow the way of Jesus. And it's also a narrow way, meaning that there's only one way. There are not many ways to heaven. There's one way that we come to the Father through faith in Jesus. Trusting in who he is and what he did for us when he gave his life on the cross for you and me, bearing sin upon his body, taking it to the grave, rising from the dead that we could have the hope of eternal life. That and that alone is the way to God the Father and to heaven and to the reward that's waiting for us. And Jesus says, when you choose that way, you will experience supreme blessings. So that means we have a choice to make. As I lifted up at the very beginning of our time together today, we have a choice to make between perhaps approval of others and approval of God. And one of the things that I learned as the Lord did some spiritual surgery on me on my time away, is how alluring the approval of others can be. But also how fleeting and empty and unreachable that is. Because you'll never make everybody happy. And you won't even make some of the people happy all the time. And what am I going to live for? I mean, sometimes we have to choose between pleasure and the hope of God and the hope of heaven for eternity. You see, when we choose pleasure instead of the way of God, there's always a trade-off. Don't miss that. Always. It is a choice between two things of what I want now, that immediate gratification and trusting in God by faith to step through hard things, knowing that the greater things are on the other side. And that is a poor trade-off to get what I want now and miss out on what I want most. And it may mean, you know what, I have to choose between the way of Jesus 
and my own advancement in this world. And it comes down to the question, do I trust him enough to put him over even my own interest? To trust that blessing is coming on the other side of that. And with that, Jesus ties it specifically into a reward. And this is what he says, that the blessing is connected to heaven. It's connected to heaven. All of this, I want you, don't miss this. If you have your Bible, I want you to look at Matthew 5. And I want you to notice something about the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, and the final beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted. What do we notice about that? Is that the reward is the same. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will receive the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for they will receive the, the kingdom of heaven. Here's what I think Jesus was doing. I think he bookended this part of his message to help make it abundantly clear that the entire point of it all is the promise of heaven. That the ultimate reward is to be with him forever in heaven. A new heaven and a new earth that God will bring as Jesus comes again. This is the draw of it, that you and I, when we leave this earth and we breathe our final breath, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, immediately you will be in the presence of God. And there is a heavenly existence that we will be with God in that moment. Jesus said to the man on the cross next to him, as he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Or think about Revelation as John has this vision of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and the saints are under the altar of God in his presence, even now crying out, how long, O Lord, until you make all things right? Immediately we will be in the presence of God. And Christ will be there with us. We will glorify him. We will worship him. And we will receive a reward for our faithfulness. Jesus speaks to this, look, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad because why? What are we getting? Great is your, say it with me, reward. Great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. It's not just that we escape hell but we will be in the presence of God in heaven, given a reward to offer back to him. Based not on our behavior, but based on our faith, our trust in him, of choosing his way, even if it means persecution. And see, here's the point. It's the choosing him. This is not about running to trouble or away from trouble. It's about running to Jesus, about running to the Father. The reason that those friends of mine across another part of the world can continue to, to choose Jesus in the midst of the heartache and the trouble and the persecution, the very real and heavy persecution that sometimes will cost them their life, it is not because they want to be martyred. It is not because they want to experience persecution. It is because they want Jesus. And they believe in heaven. And they believe in the reward. And they think about it. And they dwell on it. And it is the central part of their focus. They take him at his word that something greater is coming. 
I think for some of us here, because we don't experience the heaviness of persecution, we sometimes kind of go and seek it out in unhealthy ways. And we think we're supposed to be a martyr because that's not the point. No, the point is Jesus. And just being faithful to him. And if that means we experience persecution, then you will be blessed. But we seek him. And we will begin to experience glimpses of heaven even today. We'll have a greater connection, for one, with Jesus himself. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. Do not be troubled. Why? Because I'm sending the advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, and he will live with you and in you. He will be one with you as I am one with the Father. And we'll have this growing connection and oneness that we will know the voice of God, we'll see the presence of God, and we'll have the peace of God in our lives. Another glimpse of heaven is that we'll have a greater connection with each other that when we choose the way of Jesus, we'll have healthier, happier, more peaceful relationships with each other. And time and time and time again in my life, I've just stood back in awe as, as someone who has not experienced the love of God in their life will look at the relationships around me and say, I don't know about you, but these relationships, that's what I want that. And I think we'll experience a glimpse of heaven as we have a greater connection to our purpose. I start to realize that, you know, my purpose is not in pleasure. It's, it's not in advancement. It's not even in knowing more. It's not having more money. And my purpose is living all out, all in for Jesus because he is my Lord and King and Savior. And one day, because Jesus died and rose again, I know he's going to come back again. There'll be a trumpet blast and all will see and all will bow because they want to or they have to and know that Jesus is Lord and he'll bring a new heaven and a new earth and those who are faithful will live in his new heaven and earth with him with peace and love no more heartache no more pain no more tears forever and ever and ever and because of that it doesn't matter what that costs me in this life so here's the takeaway for me as I've wrestled with this is that what I consider to be of greatest value will dictate what I'm willing to sacrifice. What do you hold of greatest value? Because what you hold to be greatest of value in this life will dictate what you're willing to give up. And if you're struggling with, you know, I'm not really sure what I hold of greatest value, well, then just ask it this way. What am I willing to sacrifice? Because what I'm willing to sacrifice will tell me what's most valuable to me in life. Do you value the reward, the promise of the kingdom of heaven that is offered to you and me through Jesus? Is that something that we want, that we long for, that we think about, that we dwell on, that we hope for, that we believe in? And here's my hope for all of us is that we'll make a progression wherever we are, that we'll keep moving forward, that number one, we will expect the reward of the kingdom of heaven that we will take Jesus for him, for what he said, that we will trust in him, that heaven is coming, there'll be a new creation that God is bringing and I'll live with God forever. And it, listen, we're gonna talk about this more in a couple of months, but you're not gonna be in a cloud, playing a harp with a white robe, being bored for eternity. 
it's going to be greater than what we could ever possibly imagine. And the greatest things that we have of this life, even a glimpse of it, will be completely fulfilled in that place. That new creation will be the fulfillment of all that God intended. Do we expect it? And if we really expect it, here's what's going to happen. You can't help but to anticipate it. You're on the edge of your seat. I can't wait. I'm ready. I want to experience it. And when you anticipate it, you will participate in the kingdom of heaven right here and now, even as we wait. Your attitude will be different. Your decisions will be different. Your relationships will be different. You'll worry less. You'll, you'll have less burdens because you're going to be lifting them up to the Lord because we know we don't live for this broken earth. We live for the new earth, for the new creation that Jesus is coming. And I can't wait for it. And so I'm going to live it out now as if it's a reality because God is above time and space. And it is already a reality. And I'm going to live in it. And I'm going to share it with other people because I expect it and I'm anticipating it. And so a simple prayer that I wanna lift up for all of us, number one, is that we can trust Jesus and his promise, the promise of heaven to know. You know it's, I'm not really running after persecution, but when it comes, so be it, because I'm running after Jesus. I'm running after the Father who loves me who embraces me, who's running toward me. And if you lack faith, Jesus says, if you lack something, just ask the Father for it. He's willing and, and ready to give. How much is God willing to give the Holy Spirit and faith to those who ask? Ask him, Lord, give me faith to trust you. And I pray that we hold on to a real certain hope of heaven. Not just, and there's a very real difference, brothers and sisters, not just that I don't want to go to hell, but I long for heaven. I long for that promise. And then I pray because of that, that heaven gets in us and we're transformed. I've said this so many times and it's as true today as the first time I ever said it. I really don't want to white knuckle it through life trying my very best with all that I have to be a good boy. <laughs> I want to be changed from the inside out, that the things that I long for and desire and want are the things of God, are the things of heaven. And I think that comes when our highest pursuit is not happiness, but our highest pursuit is the Father. Our highest pursuit is Jesus, and heaven gets a hold of us. I pray that for us. And if you'll stand, and we're going to close out. And I'm just encouraging us to just have an all-out pursuit that we're running toward the Father. These altar rails are open if you want to come meet with the Lord and just talk to Him and listen to Him. Lift up whatever it is that your burden is. If you want to make a commitment to follow Him. If you, you can do that on your own, if you want me or somebody else to pray with you, just wave us on over. We'd love to do that. But it might just be that your eyes have been distracted for some time now so that you can't see the promise to come. And I pray that the Lord, the Spirit of God would speak to you right now. Stir your heart. 
pull your eyes back to him. And that you will experience that makarios, that supreme blessing that he has for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the blessings of God, the supreme blessings for fulfillment, for purpose, for meaning, for love, for joy, for mercy, for kindness, for forgiveness. And yes, Lord, even lasting happiness for the good life in you. Lord, there's so many things that pull on our eyes and our hearts. Draw us back to you right now, our eyes to you, our eyes to the promise of heaven. That we can realize, Lord, as Jesus said, we are poor. We have nothing to offer to you. And that when we choose you, Lord, we're willing to go through hard stuff because not for the sake of the hard stuff, but for the sake of Jesus, who we're running after. God, you promise us the kingdom of heaven when we put you in that place on the throne of our lives, and we thank you for that. So draw us to you, Lord. Give us faith. Give us hope and certainty and transform us, God, from the inside out. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.